Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you that this is a faithful people. I thank you, Father, as we bring our tithes and offerings that you rebuke the devour for our sake, that the windows of heaven are open and pour us out a blessing until there's no more need. I thank you, Lord God. We're blessed going in. We're blessed coming out. We're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the country. Because of you, Lord Jesus, we're blessed. I thank you this morning. I thank you that as your word goes forth, it falls on receptive hearts and open ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we start, I want to ask, do you all know who Corey Ten Boom is? Have you ever read the book, The Hiding Place? How many have not read The Hiding Place and do not know who Corey Ten Boom is? Okay, I'm going to order some of these. You can order it on Amazon. I'm going to order some if you just want to wait. I'll get, get some here. Corey Ten Boom grew up in a family in Holland, and they were watchmakers, and they were devout Christians, and during World War II, they helped save Jews. And they had a hiding place in their home, and they saved multiple, multiple Jews, and they worked with the underground in occupied Holland. Well, in uh, she and her family, they eventually found them out, and they were arrested. She went, she and her sister went to two prisons in Holland, and then later they were taken deep into Germany to Ravensbrück, which is, if you understand history, I'll talk about it a little more. But she had, after the war, she got out. After the war, she um, came back to Holland, and her sister died in prison. And she came back to Holland, and she ministered the gospel around the world by telling her story. Now, she'd written several books, and I had I have read The Hiding Place multiple times, starting when I was in high school, but she also read, she wrote, had, there were three. It was In My Father's House. That was pre-World War II. Hiding Place was World War II, and then Tramp for the Lord was post-World War II. And so I had never read In My Father's House, so I purchased it recently, read it, and it got me inspired to read this again. And, you know, they try to destroy history. They try to destroy statues and monuments and not let them sing the national anthem in occupied Holland. Because if they take history away, you can't learn from the past. And I have read this multiple times, and I got so much out of it this time he's reading again i would encourage you if you want to be excited and encouraged read this so i i'm going to mention it throughout what i'm ministering today so i just wanted you to be aware of what it what it is and what i'm talking about you can open your bibles to revelation i believe we've talked about it we have entered a new era in the things of god and we're in the beginning stages, we're in the planning, you know, the, the stages. We don't know everything that's going on, but I believe that God's on the move. And, and so much, so many people, and so it's so easy to look at everything that's going around us and being troubled and not see what God's doing. And we need to understand what God's doing as much as we can, but he'll get us there step by step. So I started reading, you know, we hear all these things about signs of the times, and the thing you always hear is there's going to be earthquakes, wars, and rumors of wars. And yes, that's true. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about 
people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, proud, unthankful, unholy, without self-control, despisers of God, having a form of holiness but denying his power. Yes, we are, we are in that point, I believe. But the one thing we don't talk about a lot and people don't mention, if you read through Revelation and some of these end time things, it talks a lot about being deceived and and deceiving and being deceived. Now, obviously, there are so many untruths going on in the world today, and it, it, it would be so easy to be deceived and be deceiving. And and we've almost take it for granted. We almost can't even recognize one from the other. It's hard to discern. But we've entered a a new thing. And the way you, a new era, and how you keep from being deceived, the number one thing is by the word of God. The word of God never changes. It's always relevant for today. It foretells things. God knows all things. And he'll speak to us. He speaks. I know this Corrie ten Boom talked about, Two times before they were arrested, she had this dream. And she and her father and her sister were being led away. And she didn't know what it meant until the day that they were arrested. And it was exactly what happened. Now, she didn't understand the dream till it came. But when, she, when it happened, she then understood exactly what was going on. But that brought her comfort because she knew that God knew. She knew that God knew ahead of time and it was going to be okay. So we need to understand that's where we are today. And that's why we look at the word. We look at what God's speaking to our hearts. And so I started reading in uh, several weeks ago in Revelation. And we've been talk. I've talked about it briefly in the services. But let's go to Revelation chapter 1 and start there. In Revelation chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Now, people read that and they think, well, this was written thousands of years ago, and yet he said it's shortly going to take place. Sometimes in the interpretation of what was said in the Greek and the Hebrew isn't super accurate. Probably, most likely, a better interpretation of this is things which must happen quickly or swiftly. So when God does stuff, it always seems like he waits till the last minute, but then when it happens, it happens. And so when he moves, it's going to happen quickly and swiftly, and that's why we need to be prepared. That's why we need to have our shoes on spiritually. And it says, and he sent and signified it by an angel to his servant John. In other words, he told us ahead of time. To John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep these things which are written for the time is near. So he's telling us we need to read these things. We need to get them in the heart, in our hearts, understand as best we can. And I'm not a great scholar of revelation, but I've been studying these things. And it's important then we need to look at these things. So it's good always to start checking up. Where, well, where do you go? What's God doing? I don't really see, you know, sometimes we want the big explosion. We're not seeing the big revival explosion yet. We're seeing things. We're seeing things begin to happen. But we always should start with ourselves. We always should start by checking up on our hearts. That's a good place to be. So 
We want to make sure that we are personally ready for what God has in store. And we do that by making sure that our relationship with Jesus is right. And, and that's first and foremost, that's primary. And then we t- it goes on, and we're going to read in chapters, Revelation 2 and 3, it talks about the seven churches. And those seven churches were actual literal churches then, at Ephesus, at Ephesus, at Sardis, at Thyatira. They were actual churches. And he was speaking to them approval and disapproval of the things they were doing. And they also apply to us today, to our personal lives, to our church personally, to Harvest Church, to the church world corporately. And I think as you go through these, we can see these things happening in our lives and we need to check up and this is a good place to look because it shows us what God approves of and what he doesn't approve of. What he, what he is trying to do to help us to set things in order. In the seven churches, five of them, he issued approval and disapproval. In other words, he did the positive, negative, positive thing. He said, well, you're doing this is good, but this you know, you've strayed here. You need to get that back together. You need to get your... One church of the seven was only approval. We need to probably pay attention to that. What what did they do that were was approved? And one church only was total disapproval. There was no approval of what they were doing. So we need to understand humans tend to look at the outward appearance of things. But God always looks at the heart. God usually is not impressed with what impresses us. And we need to learn to look at what God's impressed with, what what God sees through his eyes. I'm quickly, I've gone through four of them, but I'm going to review them very quick and not read. And it talks about in Ephesus or in Revelation starting in chapter 2 of church number 1, that's Ephesus. And it's the loveless church. In other words, they lost their first love. They originally, they were born again. They had Jesus in their heart. They loved him. And then that original love for God was gradually replaced by love of things that made them feel good about themselves. Their works, their programs, their big crowds, their entertaining worship services. They became more zealous for the things of God than for God himself. And you look at your own life and you think when you were first born again, what was it like? I was like 14 years old. It was 73 or 74. And I've been looking back and think, what was I like? I was just so hungry for the things of God. And in 76, I moved to Tulsa and went to Oral Roberts University. And that's I was thinking about that because of the book. I had read that book by Corey Ten Boom and all these things excited. And when I got to got to Tulsa I just wanted to be a part of everything I wanted I didn't want to miss anything because I was still had that first love for God and the first Sunday I was there there was a big church in Tulsa and guess who the guest speaker was Corey Ten Boom and I didn't want to miss that I loaded a bus and I rode in the auditorium was so full it was overpacked I had I got I had the privilege of sitting right up on the stage because the Everything was full. The front was full, and they started seating Oral Roberts University students right up on the stage where, and Corey was there and ministered. And 
in Oral, he was still having healing services and at the campus and they'd bring people in and they'd have Holy Ghost services and healing services and I didn't want to miss any of it. I wanted to be right there. And they and he wanted the students right there. When he would have a healing lines, he would take all the students that were in the services and he'd line them up. So first they would come through the line and all the students would lay hands on the people and pray for them and then they ended with oral. And it was so exciting. It was, God was, and that was actually at the end of the, the healing revival. And then on Tuesday, every Wednesday and Friday at Oral Roberts, they had a chapel services for an hour, and that was required. On Sundays, you went to the church of where you want, wanted to go, you needed to go, but Wednesday and Friday chapel services were required, and you were assigned a seat. And some of the kids, I, I couldn't get over. They came to Oral Roberts University, and they didn't want to go to chapel. They didn't want to go to chapel. Didn't, I mean, and there was, it was great. They had different worship every time, from the big pipe organ to the Souls of Fire black worship team to, I mean, it was exciting. And the first year I got to sit on the left on third, road three, and the first, second year I was assigned to dead center, Row number two, right behind all the guest speakers, I got. You could see when the evangelist there, you could see the spit flying, and it was. I didn't want to miss it. It was great. And Corey Ten Boom was there. I remember once for sure, maybe twice, and there were all kinds of other ones. And I didn't want to miss it. And we need to have that. We don't want to miss the things of God. I've talked to you before. I played sports. I never wanted to sit in the bench. I always wanted to be in the game in the game, and we need to be that way spiritually. I want to be in the game. I want to be in the game. I want to know what God's doing. I want to, I want to be there. I want to see what he does. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be the air-conditioned, you know, soft, cushy chair place, as you'd read in Corey Ten Boom's book. Anyway, so we don't want to lose that first love. And if we've lost that first love, we need to get it back. Amen. Number two, Smyrna. This was the only church that he never condemned any, in any way. And it wasn't the big church. It wasn't the rich church. It wasn't all. It was the persecuted church. They were the ones that had suffered lots of persecution, lots of hard times, lots of troubles and problems, but they overcame because they never lost that first love for God. God was always first in their life. After after and during the trials, tests, and persecution and hardship, they remained loyal and faithful to God. And he talks about that. Number three, church at Pergamos. They call it the compromising church. It talks about the false doctrines and those things in the church, and I won't spend a lot of time, but they compromise the true doctrine of the word of God. And once that true doctrine is compromised, there's a downward digression, and that led to immorality and adultery, and God got on their case about it. They were tolerant of sin, and if, you, if, it, if it gets you what you want, it's okay. They tolerated false teaching and false doctrine. God was being replaced by the desire and searching for personal passion and fulfillment. Too much of the church in the USA today is afraid of offending people and calling sin, sin. 
I have a cousin. They live in Northern California. They live in Martinez, California. It's kind of northeast of San Francisco, off the bay, the quiet little town away from San Francisco. And if you've read the news today, today, that's where the big protests are supposed to be. Supposedly, they're bringing in busloads and busloads of Antifa and all these things to cause destruction and harm. And, and she's been talking to me about it. And, and her, her husband, it's, it's more rural out there. And her husband is a duck hunter. And they have on the, the bay there all the duck hunting. So he has guns. And, and we sent him a message, tell Jack to be locked and loaded. And, and so Jack starts texting Micah back. And he says, it's so frustrating because... The people in this area will not confront anything. They've just become totally passive. The church is just laying down. They won't stand up to anything. That's what we're seeing today, the tolerant church. They know what's going to happen here, but they aren't taking a stand against it. They're just going to lay down and die. I believe they'll be revived eventually, but that's what's happening in the church so much around the United States today. Now, we're going to come today to church number five, and that's Sardis. And we're going to spend time on Sardis and then Philadelphia. Sardis is the church. There was no approval at all. There was no positive, negative, positive. It was negative, negative, negative. And so we're going to read, starting in chapter 3, verse 1 of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church, Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. In other words, they were the big mega church. They were the one where things were happening. They had the big worship team. They had programs for every group that needed help. They had all these things, and everybody thought they were alive. But to God, they were dead. It says, but you are dead. And he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know the hour which I will come upon you. I've been thinking about, as I read this and looking, you know, there's a little bit of each church in every one of us, I believe. And in each church, there's a little bit of each of these churches. And you look at Harvest Church and you say, well, are we really alive or are we really dead? And as I was thinking of the characteristics, and remember, you don't look at things that God looks. We we tend not to look at the things the way God does, what we need to. We look at the outward appearance of things. But what's the inward man? What's the inward workings of the church like? So here are the characteristics. Let's compare being dead to being alive. If someone is, and I realize being dead, dying is a natural part of life. And in the physical, if you're born again, if you have Jesus in your heart, you never need to be all stewed about being dead. Corey Ten Boom talked about, when they were at Ravensbrook and her sister had just died and they would have roll call that would last for three hours. 
and they'd make in December, and they'd make them stand out for roll call in three hours in March. And there were only over 96,000 women killed in that concentration camp. Can you even comprehend that? And her sister had just been died. And one day at roll call, it was freezing cold, and they called her by name. Usually they just called them by name. They called her by name and had her come stand over at the beginning at the head of the line. And they didn't do that. And they figured when they did that, was somebody was called up there, that was they were calling them up for execution, that they were next in line. So she stood there with two other young women for three hours. And you would, she, she talked about when you face death, all your perspective changes. And she said, I was never, especially after my sister died, I was never afraid of death. I just knew it would be a release from this place. And so she stood there in this line. And instead of being afraid of death, she spent the time, those three hours, when every time the guards would look away, she would minister the gospel to these two young women. And they both got born again, standing there in line. And within a few days, they were dead, and she'd been released by an administrative error. But she said, and we don't look at it like this, she said, all this time that I spent in this prison was well worth it just to see those two young women be able to go to heaven and not to hell. We don't look at things like that in America. It's been awfully cushy for us. But we need to realize, so dead. When you're dead, there's no hunger and there's no thirst. You just quit eating. And I want you to look at this spiritually. Yes, there's physical death, but what about spiritual death? Are you hungry for the word of God? Do you thirst after righteousness? Do you just want more of God, more of the word? Do you want to be there? Are you hungry and thirsty? When you're dead, there's no movement. I mean, these are just obvious. When you're alive, there's movement, and hopefully it's forward movement. You know, Lester Summerall had a garage built, had in his garage, he had a door built on the both sides because he never wanted to go backward. He was always going to go forward. When it was time to leave, he moved forward instead of backing out. We need to be alive. We need to be moving. The church needs to be moving forward not staying stagnant. When you're dead, there's no brain or heart activity. What can I say? Sometimes I wonder about the body of Christ here. Is there a lot of brain activity going on? Is there a lot of heart activity? When you're dead, you become cold and you become stiff. You know, I need to look on this one myself. I, I hate being cold. I like to be warm. So when the guys are running the air conditioner at full blast, I go sit outside in the sun. I got to warm up. And, you know, we need to do that spiritually. If you feel yourself getting a little cold, a little cold towards the things of God, you need to do something. Go sit in the sun. Get with God. Get alive again. Get warmed up. Get heated up. When you're dead, your body begins, begins to decay. I didn't realize this. I was reading about this. There's self-digestion. The cells in your body start to eat the other cells in the body. You start to draw flies and other predators. 
Think about that spiritually. Do we just get so self-engrossed, so within ourselves, so helpless that we just let anybody come into our lives, just let the predators come, let us con- let them convince you you're going to die of COVID? You know, do you just let them eat you alive and eat yourself alive of fear? At the point of death, you soil yourself. At the point of death, you saw yourself because all the muscles relax and release. At the point of spiritual death, I think you saw yourself also. Because the meaning of that is you, you start to just let go of everything and just let sin take over your life. You just become putrid. Have you ever watched a dead fish in a river? It just gets taken away by the current. It just floats along. If you're spiritually dead, you're just going to float along with whatever the culture says, with whatever, whatever they think, whatever you don't have the ability to stand up anymore. You're just going to float along with modern trend. Obviously, we can see the similarities between natural and spiritual death. In natural life, there are stages we go from birth to death. We go from birth to childhood to adulthood. In today's world, we go from adulthood to assisted living. Mary Jane's an expert on that. (laughs) So she could probably help me along. From assisted living, we go to nursing homes. And like I said, don't let me offend you. It's in the natural, that's a natural part of life. But spiritually, we need to look at this. Because spiritually, I think we do the same thing. We go from birth to childhood to adulthood to probably assisted living. And then right before spiritual death, we go to the spiritual nursing home. We have one foot in the grave. You, you look at this. You look at the hunger and thirst thing. What are, you, what are you eating spiritually? Do you just want prune juice and pablum? Are you hungry for the meat of the word of God? Can you chew it? Or do you have to gum it? It's It's... To me, it's it just, you know, spiritually, let's look at ourselves. Are we hungry for the meat? Can we chew the meat of the word of the God? Or, or do we keep having to have milk? And just that soft message. Just that soft message. Feel, make you feel good. Is your, hung, is your movement diminished? In the nursing home, your movement's diminished. They either wheel you, carry you. You know, to be in assisted living, you have to at least be able to get yourself to the cafeteria. Or do you need somebody spiritually to feed you all the time? Do you have to be around somebody that charges you up spiritually so you move again? Or can you go and stir yourself up in your most holy faith? That's the difference between nursing home Christianity and alive Christianity. In the nursing home, your vision becomes clouded and your hearing does too. Your ears are, don't hear the word of God speaking as clearly. You become dull of hearing and dull of sight. Limited mot- mobility. Are you carried or are you wheeled? Do you beat your way to the service where God is? you jump up and want to spend time with God in the morning or 
does somebody have to come and read it to you? In the nursing home, you become less productive. Actually, that's why you go to the nursing home, is because you're less productive. Definitely become more self-focused. Everything revolves around having my need met. How does that affect us spiritually? Do we have to have, is the church service only to have my need met? Or can we be focused like Corey was standing in that death line waiting for execution and be focused on the needs of those other two rather than herself? It's remarkable. We want to be less self-focused and more focused to those around us. Nursing home mentality, minimal initiative. Primary desires on what I need and what I want. I'm sorry, the church in the United States has become nursing home church in a lot of cases. Here's one. I call it, do you attend the pajama church? Has it become much easier to stay at home in your pajamas and drink coffee and watch TV and watch live streams rather than attending and being an active part of a living organism? He has preached for years the importance of church attendance. And after I've heard it for 38 years, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) We can all become very familiar. But since this quarantine, since all that's happened since March, I just see how important the church is. Because there is a, there is a corporate anointing when believers get together. And he tells us to not forsake the fellowshipping of ourselves together because of that corporate anointing. Not just because of what you get, but the corporate anointing of what goes out. And we don't see it. Here again, we don't see in our natural eyes what corporate praise is doing to the atmosphere. I know one of the articles I read by uh, Murillo talked about he believed that a lot of these protests and riots broke out in these cities because churches weren't meeting. There wasn't that anointing the power of God, the light and life of God going out. It's important, not just for you sitting here, but it's important when you're here, it's important for everybody else. So do you want to attend pajama church or real church? Because in a nursing home, they just leave them in their pajamas, wheel them out and watch what's on TV. It ticks him off when he goes down to, through downtown in the Walmart and he sees he says they're wearing their pajamas. Because you know why? It's because you're comfortable. We want to do what's comfortable instead of what's required. We need, we need and we need to value the corporate anointing of being together. And you realize in the nursing home, you go there in that stage of life, spiritually, in the natural, sometimes it's just easier. It just becomes easier to have somebody fix your meals and feed you and wheel you here and wheel you there and tell you what to do and and turn up your heat so you're not cold. But it's costly. It's expensive. And if you want to go to the nursing home before your time, 
spiritually go ahead, but I don't want to. I want to live. It's all right to die when it's your time, but I don't want to die before my time. And show you my salvation. We have something to do. We have something. I just couldn't get over in this book. It just it, I had read it several times. It ministered so much to me. Just They were constantly looking how to meet everybody else's needs. And that's why they were alive. They talked about in Ravensbrook. You know, we look at worship teams. We look, and I, I'm sorry. The last 20 years, most Christian songs, I don't think, are very anointed. They're just entertainment. And she talked about, in Ravensbrook, they were in this barracks packed full of people. And the guards wouldn't come in because the fleas were so infested in there. The guards would just send them in the door. So they had freedom to worship. They had freedom to minister the word of God. She said... That was the sweetest worship. Those days and weeks in Ravensbrook were the sweetest worship she ever, because people were worshiping from their heart. They didn't want to, couldn't be entertained anymore. It had to be real. Our worship needs to be like that. It needs to be from here. A lot of people, you know, you think, well, you look at you, you're not very lively. (laughs) I'm kind of laid back. People probably think I'm kind of passive, kind of stoical. Germany calls me. When I used to play ball, my teammates had to learn to understand me. A lot of people before that big game, they get all revved up. I, I didn't. I'd go sit in the corner by myself and focus. And focus. And that's the way I feel right now. I feel like I feel like the last year, year and a half, just quiet on the outside. God's doing something. But I feel like a volcano about to erupt on the inside. Just focus on what God wants. It's going to break loose. The one thing we've got to be careful. We don't try to be like these other churches and make it happen. We want God. We want the pure move of God, the real thing. So that's why it's important that we do just get ourselves in order right now. Just get ourselves. That's all I was doing before the big game. I was just focused, getting myself ready for that big moment, for that walk on the court, that walk on the field. Just get yourself focused. Just get yourself in tune. Get yourself in the place where you can hear from God. So when it's time to move, will move. Number six, Philadelphia. Number six, church. This is the faithful church. He had a little bit against them, but not much. Mostly it was approval. And to the angel of the church, Philadelphia, write, these things he says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, the key of David. There's so many things in here you could really study them out. Very simply, the key of David was the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he who has the gospel of Jesus Christ, he opens the door that no one shuts and shuts that no one can open. I know your works. See, there's a fine line between works and works. The works that he was condemning were those that were just by the flesh. They did it to do it. 
They were the priority over the relationship with God. But if your relationship with God is right, out of the abundance of your heart, you are created for good works. And so there's that fine line. That's why we need to spend time with God so we make sure we're on the right side of that line. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And I know that you that I have loved you because you have kept my commandment to persevere. The two churches that he really approved of were simply for this. They were faithful, regardless of what was going on around them, what was going on within them, what was going on. They were faithful. They were faithful to God faithful with their relationship it talks about he who is faithful in small things will be rewarded over much now the reason i started reading about these things was because several weeks ago i had a dream god can speak to you in dreams god can speak to you in the still there's another book if you've never read you should read how to be led by the spirit i'll order some of those go back Absolutely. I believe probably one of the finest books ever written other than the Bible. When you're in a batting slump, you go to the batting cage. When you're in a spiritual slump, you need to go back to some of these things and hone your skills a little bit. Get yourself stirred up a little bit. But it talks about how God leads his people, primarily through the inward witness. Still small voice occasionally through a voice, dreams. All of those are viable, but they all need to line up with the word of God. So I had a dream several weeks ago. In the dream, and it was before all this rioting took place, so that wasn't on my mind. But we were, we, meaning Mike and Caleb and Mike and I, were in a car and we were heading south. In the dream, all directions were, were very distinct. And we were heading south, driving down a road, and suddenly we drove into a tunnel. And it was pretty wide and pretty light at the beginning. But the further we got into the tunnel, the narrower and the darker it got. And we could see sitting around on the sides of the tunnel were desperate people. Probably drugs, mental illness. Last year when we were in Denver, and we stayed downtown Denver and walked to the baseball game in downtown and by the Capitol, and there were just homeless people. That's what it reminded me of, just homeless people, just down and out, and they were looking down. And as we came to the end of that tunnel, and all these people were sitting around, these desperate, destitute people, we saw at the end of the tunnel was a door. I mean, it was a huge, like a castle door, the big, thick wood and heavy iron and the bolt, and we couldn't go through it. We, we were, there was no way we knew we could not get through that door because it was too big and massive in the first place. In the second place, we didn't feel like we should, it was probably very safe to get out to try to open it. And we didn't know what to do, but that was just a fraction of a second. We just kept going forward, going forward, and suddenly we were just on the other side. 
It was like we were just translated through the door, and we all looked at each other. We knew something spiritual had happened. Well, there's more to the dream, but that was really the the predominant part of the dream. And so I started studying and looking at the word of God. And I came to this. And this is why I started studying this. In verse 2, it says, These things, says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens, no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He will set, I will set before you a door. Now, I believe that our church, there's a little loveless church, a little corrupt church, a little dead church in each one of us and probably in Harvest Church. And there are days, you know, you look out at this crowd and you wonder. (laughs) Abe gets up there on Sunday morning and he looks out and you got to (laughs) wonder in your mind, where are we here in the whole scheme of things? But truly with all my heart, I believe that we're this church predominantly mostly the faithful church we've been through things it hasn't been, always been easy but i believe we've stayed faithful there's always been a remnant and what happens is because of your faithfulness individually this is true also corporately this is true because of faithfulness god will set eventually at some point in time set you before an open door and that's what we're getting ready for that's where we're at right now we couldn't we couldn't see in the dream how we were ever going to get through that it was just dark it was just slow it was a little scary but suddenly suddenly god came suddenly we got that's why we have to be ready that's why you got to get your hearts ready God approves of faithfulness. A personal one-on-one relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and faithfulness through thick or thin, hard times or good times is what God was looking for. That's what he prized. And when we have that in order, he can get us to where we need to go through any door. It talks about, I don't have time to read it here, in Isaiah 33 and in Jeremiah 33 it talks about this. In Isaiah 33 it talks about ships with no oars. In other words, there were great rivers and canals and waterways and when he looked on them, there were, sh- there were no great majestic ships and the, sh- the boats on there had no oars. They couldn't oar. The stream was going so fast they couldn't row themselves. The ships with no oars. With with oars, it's man working, the works of man, the works of the flesh. But if you're a ship with no oar, you're going with with God, and God's going to get you through the door. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's what we want. It might be difficult right now. There are days I'm getting a little impatient. I feel like a kid right before the 4th of July. I just want to go see something blow up. (laughs) Let's get this party started. But I want it God's way. I want the real thing. I'm close with this story. 
you say, well, I maybe don't really feel quite as alive as you think you do. I'm kind of got one foot in that spiritual death door. I'm kind of in the nursing home spiritually. In 1996, my mom was killed in a car accident down by Columbus. My dad was driving. It was the other driver's fault. He was driving really fast, fell asleep at the wheel, crossed the line, killed my mom. My dad was hurt. My dad went from the Columbus Hospital to the Lincoln Hospital, then back to a nursing home in Columbus to recover. And about two weeks after the funeral, he had been recovering, and all of a sudden he took a turn for the worse. We thought we'd lost him. It just was like he wasn't there anymore. So we finally got him back to the hospital in Columbus. He was in a comatose state. A bunch of my cousins came. They were sitting in the hallway with us, trying to be nice and comfort us because they were there to pay their last respects. But we had a good doctor, and he got ran the tests on him and got looking him over, and he said he must have had a stroke. And when he had the stroke, something triggered, and it dropped his sodium level. I don't know if you know you need sodium, but you need sodium. His sodium level was so low that they were afraid if they brought it up too fast, that would kill him. They had to bring it up really slow and gradual. Like I said, he was in a comatose state. They kept him in the hospital, and they kept just gradually bringing that sodium level up. And you could see day by day, he, he started to come out of that. If it wasn't so sad, it would have been almost funny. But as he started to come out, he'd see bugs crawling along the wall. And he'd reach up. Yeah, he'd reach up in slow motion and try to pick the bugs off. He was starting to come back alive. And he was getting a little better. And they brought a, another patient in. And I don't know if he was on a ventilator or oxygen or whatever it was, but it had a, the machine had a hum. Now, my dad was in World War II. He was a medic and an ambulance driver. He went in at Normandy, not the first day, but shortly thereafter. They were still fighting on the beaches. He went through all of France. He was at, at um, Belgium and Holland when they were liberated. And he was with Patton's army when they were the first ones to arrive at Bastogne because the 101st Airborne was trapped there. And they were the first ones there. And because he was a medic and ambulance driver, he hauled so many people out that first day that had gangrene that he could never eat certain green things again. He said with every caught that he took out the smell he threw up every time and my dad if you knew my my dad was a lively carry he was full of life and Mary Jane probably remembers this at the meadows they served broccoli quiche and he'd say to me yeah he says I'm sorry I just can't eat that damn green quiche <laughs> he just he had he went through all that, and he was but he'd always but he came back and he he made it, and he was always full of life and so this happened, so this guy next door, this machine hummed, 
Well, after Bastogne, then they were, he went on and they were at the Battle of the Bulge. And if you know the Battle of the Bulge, they brought in hundreds and thousands of tanks. They said it, you could just hear the hum and the roar from miles and miles away. Well, he was in the state at this point where he thought that hum of the machine was the tanks coming back into the Battle of the Bulge. And he was restless and he was agitated. And at this point, the doctor says, I think the sodium level is up enough. I think you need to take him out of the hospital, get him to a, into a nursing home for more recovery. So, and he says, I think you need to take him to Norfolk, take him to Bel Air. He'll be close to you. So we brought him up to Bel Air and put him in. And man, he recovered so fast. He did. He was there for six weeks. He had a lot of injuries and everything. And so we decided it was time. He probably was never going to go back home to Monroe, but it was time. He could go to assisted living. And so they had a place at the Meadows, and we made arrangements, and he was going to go to the Meadows. He physically had recovered, but now the grief and the depression had set in from losing my mom and all that had happened. And we went up to get him and make arrangements to go to the Meadows, and he said, I don't want to leave the nursing home. He says, I'm fine here. That wasn't my dad. My dad loved to hunt. He didn't like to sit in a deer stand or a duck blind. He wanted to be out. He could outwalk in his 70s, outwalk the 30- and 40-year-olds. He was like, but something happened to him. He started to die. He had that one foot in the grave mentality. But we said, no, we're going to the meadows. <laughs> and the one thing about him, he, he did listen to us. And so we took him to the meadows and we'd bring him home three, four nights a week. And the boys were little and we'd let the boys do anything. They had terrible table manners at this time because Micah was in diapers and we'd let him stand up on the table and dance. <laughs> <laughs> anything to make him laugh, anything to get life back in him, and it worked. We had five wonderful years with him. The Meadows is a good place. Being around us was good, but not only was it good, we were good for him, and Meadows was good. He was good for us. Those five years with him were so good. We needed him. This is where we are today. The world needs us. The world needs the gospel of Jesus. We can't die yet. He's standing at the door. He's going to get us through the door. Someday there's going to be a big boom. And I want to be there. And the thing is, I want you to be there. And I want your friends to be there. And I want your family to be there. And sometimes they might have their foot in the nursing home. But just by providing life, the life in you, the life in us, the life in Micah dancing on the table in his diapers brought life back to my dad. So that's why it's important that we don't have the nursing home mentality. We got to have life. Because our life, the life of Christ in us is going to reach the world. Now, the other thing that she talked about 
her sister Betsy was the one that loved everybody. And when Corey would think about getting out and ministering to the hurt people, the Jews and and the people of Holland, Betsy would always see the hurt of the German people, the guards. And she says, when we get out, if they can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. And sometimes I look at the world and I think, oh, my gosh, it's just disgusting and appalling. But if they can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. That's why we got to have God. I can't do it. Corey couldn't do it. You can't do it. It's got to be God in us, through us, and with us. Do you have something to say? Stand up this morning and hear the word of the Lord. In Ezekiel chapter 37, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And so I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to these, to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so, I prophesied as I was commanded, and breath came into them. They lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. I prophesy today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak to these bones. I speak to Harvest Church. I command the Spirit of God, the breath of God, to come upon this people. Rise up in the name of Jesus. Rise up in the power of the Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the living God. For the best of days are yet to come. So make sure your eyes are on me. Your eyes are directed towards the skies. 
Do not be distracted by what you hear. Do do not be distracted by what you see. But you need to draw close to me. Draw close to me and remain in my presence and you'll experience the peace of God like never before. So I presented before you an open door. An open door that no man can shut. So get ready to move. Get ready to move. Get ready to move and rise above all that you hear, all that you feel, and all that you see. But keep focused on my living word. And then you'll experience the peace of God. And you'll begin to go forth with my power. Not by might, nor by power, but by the spirit of grace says the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak to this body of believers today. Oh, I thank you, Lord God, for the rivers of living water flowing in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the anointing upon us corporately to fulfill all that you've called us to be. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today, Lord God, that you are for us and not against us. And you are the way maker in the name of Jesus. And so I call these people by faith, full of life, full of power. And I thank you, Lord, they go about doing good and healing all the 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 that the power of the enemy would try to thwart in this hour. And so, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy today. We thank you, Lord, for good things up ahead for your people in Jesus' name. Dry bones live in Jesus' name. We can't be moved by what we see. God is moving. Now, listen to me. When you hear us say, read a book, read it. If we as pastors are telling you to do something, do it. We represent not the ultimate authority, but an authority. And we want to see you be successful sheep. And I'll tell you what, you read this kind of stuff, it'll stir, it'll build a fire in you. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm, 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 she did a good job. She's a good teacher. You need to do it more. Amen. So the next eight weeks she'll be ministering the word of the Lord. I'm going to go play golf. No. No, no. Well, you're blessed people. Amen. Say I'm blessed. And God made me a blessing. So go bless others this week. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.